0: Listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast, sex and relationship advice you can use tonight. Welcome to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. I am Jessica O'Reilly, your friendly neighborhood sexologist. Thank you so much to Desire Resorts for your ongoing support of this program. Folks, check out at Desire Resorts. They have a number of clothing optional resorts down on the Mayan Riviera and international cruises throughout Europe and beyond. Clothing optional, couples only, highly erotic at Desire Resorts. Now, let's talk about dominance and a little bit about submission and what we can learn from doms, and in particular, one dom. This week, I received a question from a listener asking about how to be a better dom. So she writes, my husband says he wants to play the role of a submissive and wants me to be the DOM, but I don't know where to start. To give you some background, I'm a stay-at-home mom, and he's a pretty big business owner in our community. So, joining me today to talk about being a Dom, a Femme Dom, is New York-based Lola Jean, sex educator and mental health professional. Thanks for being here. Welcome, Lola Jean. Hello, happy to be here. Awesome, now you are a pro-Dom. You're also a fetish wrestler. I hope we have time to get to that. I follow you on Instagram, and I I love some of those fetish wrestler pics. But let's start with pro-dom. Can you explain to us what a pro-dom does?
1: Yeah, so pro-dom is just another shorthand uh, for professional dominatrix. And every pro-dom has maybe their specialty, but also their boundaries of what they do and, and don't do. Um, so I mean specifically especially where I am at with my career I'm more of a lifestyle dom and then professionally I either I teach other fem doms Um, and mainly I outside of wrestling. I act in the realm of humiliation So I do more of that type of work
0: Okay, great. I'd like to talk about all of those things. So
1: let's start with lifestyle dom. What does that mean? Yeah, so lifestyle dom is um I dom not in a professional setting, so not for a money exchange, but someone that I may have a relationship with. Um, it may be sexual, it may be non-sexual, but it's more for the enjoyment of it. So I like to put it in a way with, with professional doming, like I wouldn't do it if there weren't money involved, um, but I'm also not only doing it for the money. Okay. Whereas with a lifestyle doming, there's an investment I have with that person um, that doesn't have that relationship.
0: Okay. So can you give us a picture of what it means to be a dominant in, in a lifestyle role that is, that is sexual, and then maybe an example that is non-sexual?
1: Yeah. um, So kind of with, with both of those there, it's, it's a huge trust aspect. And that's one of the things that I really like. It's the same reason that I really like pegging. It's that it's a huge trust aspect. And I feel like every person is like a puzzle that I have to figure out, and it's almost as if I'm helping them grow and helping them find acceptance uh, in this side of themselves that's very vulnerable. And then there's this immense uh, power and responsibility in having in having that control and and taking care of them afterwards, and and making sure that they're having an experience that's good for their personal growth. So in a in a private relationship, um, it's. The difference between the professionals like I'm I mean I'm taking time to learn about each person to make sure I can tailor it best to them um, and what also is fun for me but I'm, there's way more investment with a personal relationship and there's like more on both sides and that I want something to be pleasing for them but also in to service me and my own interests and my own needs so it's still fun for me in the professional setting um, I really do, like, being creative and using words and degradation, um, humiliation, and those pieces. But for personally, there's certain things that I wouldn't do professionally, like, I'm not going to have somebody, like, go down on me or potentially, like, wear, like, chastity or a butt plug for me. That's more fun. Uh, So chastity is when a male would have their uh, cock hooked up in a cock cage, uh, often with a lock, and then the dom has the key. And... That's like this huge like power play, trust play thing for me, and I get off on ego tripping and power tripping, and that wouldn't satisfy me with a client because I don't have this prior care and relationship.
0: Okay, so if, they're in, if their penis is locked away and you have the key, would this be only during a sex scene or could this be throughout the evening? Would they have to come to you and ask to have it unlocked if they had to go pee?
1: Uh, Well, actually, with chassis devices, you can pee with them on. Um, They just prevent the penis from being erect um, and making it kind of – one of my um, former subs, he said he would only take it off to work out because then it was uncomfortable. But it really just depends on the person. Some people want to be wearing it for, like, months, and other people it's more like for a week or just the idea of it or even, like, they have the key but they need the permission from the dom – to get the key, um, but it, like all these things, like it's really dependent on the person. Someone might not want to do chastity at all. Um, I'll, like an example of things that I like where my submissive didn't, so I had one submissive who was really into severe, severe humiliation, um, at the time more than I was like comfortable with, but I was uh, dipping my toes into that water, and I, I also really like uh, cock and ball torture, that's something that's very fun for me, and I was doing that to him, and I could kind of tell, I'm like, you don't really, likes do you and he was like no but like you really do it's like well but then it's just not as fun like it's not fun to kick someone in the balls if they don't like it then it's just mean then it's just straight up mean
0: okay so yeah we should talk about consent from from the onset so you're talking about all these concepts and we've really just dove right in yeah these, these are relationships that you've cultivated over time and can you talk about what the process of cultivating and continuously checking in and renegotiating on consent might look like
1: yeah absolutely so a lot of it is um i mean i feel like we see these things sensationalized in the media and we think so much of it is like on the job whereas professionally it is you have the session you find out things beforehand um but in a lifestyle sense in relationships i feel like 80 percent of the relationship and work that we do is communication and it's testing things out verbally or via text um, or Skyping or whatever that may be and testing things out and seeing how they respond to them Um, and even like having that it doesn't have to be a physical in-person interaction Um, most of it can even just exist in a virtual and digital space and that can be enough for both people Um, but these, these conversations always happen and it's something too where you can kind of put something out there, see how they're responding to it, or when you do something, kind of gauging their non-verbal reactions, but also checking in. It's just like, what did you think about that? Was there anything that surprised you? Um, or is there anything you didn't like? What intrigued you? What do you think you might want to try again? Um, but even more so, it's like all this period, I call it like doing research, taking inventory, filing things away of different types of information, um, when you're asking questions, and I can talk all about questioning techniques for, for beginners, but in getting all this information, you're understanding where their interests lie, where their boundary lies, you're building this entire map that you can play between. So it's, it's never wise just to kind of go into something of like when you were saying what the reader asked beforehand, um, to just be like, okay, I want to be submissive, and you and I want you to be dom. Let's go try it. It's like that's absolutely no information. Like, there's nowhere to go from there. Uh, there's just so many different aspects of mental. What is? How is it setting the scene? Even if you're going to do like a role play thing, there's so much work that goes into that that we just don't see because it's behind the scenes.
0: Okay, so if we go back to this listener who has a quite a broad question, right? There's not a lot of information there. Where should she even begin if her husband has just said, I want to be submissive, you be a femdom, clearly they're, you know, vanilla, and I don't use that word in a pejorative sense at all, but this is new to them. What are the questions and discussions they should begin with?
1: Yeah, so one of my favorite um, techniques that I I teach in my my intro to femdom classes um, and that I use myself is the uh, questioning technique, and it's basically always... Always asking a question, but in relationship to what they're saying, so it's kind of almost like when a little kid's just like, "But why? But why? But why?" and it's like super annoying or, or whatnot. And it can do multiple things. This one thing is when you keep asking questions and asking them to expand upon the things that they're explaining. Um, you're going to get more raw answers because it's probably things that they haven't thought about. We think of things at surface level level. We don't necessarily think about why, how, come, in what way. Um, it can also have a twofold effect in that you could kind of get them in the space where they feel vulnerable because they don't know the answers to these questions, and that's an automatic like power play position. When you're asking a question, you're on the offense at all times, and it's a great thing to like. So many tactics in femdom can just be used in in life. So with this particular listener, um, when I heard what their question or concern was, uh, what I thought the first thing is to ask their husband is like, what what about being submissive is intriguing to you and expanding on that. And when they say, oh, I like the the power play of it. I like not being in control. It's like, well, what do you want me to be in control of? What would make you feel the most helpless and in servitude to me? And trying to kind of figure out what type of trope or where they sit in this whole Venn diagram from, from sensual to sadistic. Um, if it's more of someone who wants to worship and be of service versus someone who wants to be degraded and asking these questions and kind of figuring out, you can even give them uh, like, I like giving a little description of like, how do you feel about being my personal slut? Whose only purpose on this earth is to service me and make sure I have pleasure at all times. And I give them this little persona and just see how they respond to it. Cause they might be like, Um, Or they're like, oh my God, I've never thought of that. That's so hot. Uh, And you're just putting these things out there in feelers and asking these questions, presenting them with something to react to, and then you're taking that information and filing it away so you can start building their submissive persona.
0: This is really interesting. All of this conversation, I like the notion of the why. Because whether you are kinky, whether you're into dom or subbing, or whether you're just having sex in the dark in missionary position, or trying to discuss a fantasy, the why is so important because it leads to richer discussion. So you're talking about the conversation. When you look at a dom-submissive sexual relationship, what percentage of it is just conversation? And what percentage of it is a physical activity, whether that be sex or a sexually adjacent physical activity?
1: So I find for um, a lot of the time, not all of the time, but um, I find that with what male or female in, in the submissive role responds to has to do with gender roles. So with, uh, with people that were socialized as females um, or as women, they often are taught to emote, to be communicative, to be aware and discuss their feelings. They're taught to not express themselves physically. Um, That's something that uh, people that are socialized as men, that they're taught to be able to express themselves physically, but not to show or be aware of emotion. So there are these different things that we were deprived of and also deprived of expressing ourselves in a manner that would be viewed as more masculine or more feminine in that way. So that's why things like specification or uh, forced by things on the the male perspective of engaging in sexual behavior with the same sex or in the feminization of them these that's why these things tend to be attractive because it's things that we're deprived of so I find oftentimes um, humans that are socialized as women tend to like more of the physical aspect respond to that that's why impact play tends to be again not all the time tends to be something that more women gravitate to with that nature, whereas men, on the other hand, they are very visual creatures, um, but I find that the verbal is something that they respond to most in that way. So I feel like it's a little bit different um, with, with male versus female um, as terms of how what percentage of the time is actual conversation, but I think regardless, it's, it's over 50%. Um, you know, you think of sometimes scenes can last like days on end, but the longer it's lasting, probably the more verbal it is. So with people who have submissives that have to do certain rituals every morning and send them a list of this or proof of them doing that, but these types of things, I consider that more conversational and less of like a sexual act. Again, it doesn't have to be sexual at all, but it's just thinking about it. I feel like it's probably upwards of 80% of conversation, conversation and actions attached to that, but not necessarily, uh, in-person manifestation.
0: That's what I was thinking. Uh, now you've brought up a number of scenarios that might be beyond the experience or purview of some of the listeners. Mm -hmm. So I think oftentimes when we think of a dom sub sexual relationship, we think about it just in bed. So doming as a concept often conjures up images of a, a woman standing on a man's back in spiky high heels, but it's much more than that. So what are the, you know, what are the one, two, or three core principles of doming from your
1: perspective? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I always like to leave with that and it's, it's, I was having a conversation with a professional financial dominatrix friend to get um, more insight and, and material for a fin dom class I was teaching. And she was saying that, she has to have the basis of a friendship with uh, any, I mean for her professional too, but of personal relationship. So if it's not based in that, then there's just not as much trust on either side. And I found that interesting because you really do develop a care for your subs and their well-being when you've had a longer relationship with them, even if it's not sexual at all. And it really is kind of a friendship, but invested in a different type of pleasure. I kind of went off on a tangent on that one, though. <laughs> no, that,
0: that yeah. makes sense to me, that at the core of, of being a dom or being a sub or being any in any sort of intimate relationship, friendship is the yeah. basis. So I, I think I also asked a two-part question without being clear. Uh, some people will play dom and sub only in bed, and some people will play it throughout their daily interactions. Right. Do you right. see a differentiation between these two? um, approaches to dom and subbing?
1: Yeah, well, I guess in twofold. Um, and I don't know if this is what you were going for, but there's, so there's 24 seven and habitual, um, doming, subbing. Um, 24 seven is like all the time. It's someone that maybe needs constant validation or needs to get constant validation. Um, it's really exhausting. It is what some people require. Um, it's not what some people are capable of giving or want to do where there isn't, necessarily a beginning and an end and set boundaries to when a situation starts and ends I don't recommend that for beginners at all I think it's something that you'll find that you either like or are drawn to but I feel like that's really in that's like really hardcore lifestyle and that's probably in the minority of people that practice kink whereas habitual it could be it doesn't have to exist in a certain space it could be in coitus it could only be in foreplay and sexting um it it doesn't have to have a specific place where it lives but you can decide where it begins and ends and oftentimes when we have a distinct beginning and ending it makes us more, more willing to succumb to the process and let ourselves be able to enjoy and release um knowing that it's going to have an end and we go back to normal humans normal lola not goddess lola type of a thing
0: that that makes sense to me to kind of break it off in pieces of especially if you're new to it uh, now you cover this range of topics, and you've dropped a bunch of terms that I'm sure not all people understand. Uh, you mentioned uh, CBT, cock and ball torture. You mentioned humiliation, and you mentioned cisification, especially in the context of the feelings and roles which are sometimes deprived for for people who are socialized as men. So, what is cisification in shorthand?
1: <laughs> uh, cisification is the feminization of men so oftentimes it's it could be anything as simple as just like wearing panties to going full-on makeup or or drag or drag drag dra- the characteristics of a female and sometimes having like a, a higher toned voice or things of that nature and what i mean when i used to work in a dungeon there was a like a cross-dressing room as it was called, and it was it was super fun. It was kind of just like cool. Let's have like a little slumber party, and play dress up, and we're gonna make you into a pretty little girl, kind of a thing. Uh, it's just allowing them in this space where all these things that are taboo and and not normal, so to speak, where they can be able to enjoy that and something that they may be ashamed of or wanted to if they were playing with like dolls when they were younger and someone shamed them of that and they held on to that as something that they weren't supposed to do i find that oftentimes with kink it's the the why of it is usually generally it's something that either invalidates or validates one of our insecurities so i have abandonment issues which is one of the reasons that i really like worship because it's um, the attention that's paid it's attention that i can ask for and it's something that invalidates my insecurity of being abandoned. Whereas someone who felt that they are inadequate, um, that of maybe there was like penis size shaming or they feel like they're an inadequate lover or they're not capable of having like solid sexual performance throughout the experience, that might be someone who's drawn to cuckolding, which is an act where someone um, watches their partner have sex with someone else. And it's technically a humiliating act. What they're doing is it's a way to find joy in their partner being with someone else who's able to satisfy them sexually in the way that they feel like they're not capable of and both of those people finding joy. It's sexualized something that was previously painful or an insecurity. So it's really taking ownership of that.
0: I I like that, the rewriting of the erotic association. Now, you you mentioned humiliation, and I know you perform humiliation services. And whenever I talk with clients about the eroticization of more vulnerable states or emotions like humiliation, they're quite taken aback. So we can look at the clinical or psychological side, but I think it's far more interesting and richer since you've asked so many people, why? Why would you want to experience humiliation? Um, And then, so that's, the first part I'd like to know and also like to know like how do you you personally how do you humiliate clients or lovers Mm
1: -hmm. so humiliation it's a very harsh word and I think that's what scares people off um if because we think of humiliating someone it often is seen as something you're doing to have a negative experience for them um, but really i see humiliation as the ultimate form of worship in that someone is choosing or letting themselves degrade themselves for me uh, and, and directing it towards that i think to, to keep that in mind that can help a lot with the humiliation and it gives them mental permission in that they're not doing something because they really want to, or it's dirty and naughty or whatever it is, they're doing it for someone else. And that's oftentimes where the femdom comes in, because it takes away that mental permission of, um, or it gives them the mental permission of, oh, I'm not doing this because I want to, I'm doing this for them. And oftentimes, and I find this especially more with femdom, because of the human socializes men in this world, there is such a hesitancy to switch these power dynamics and these power roles that have been in place for so long. And I think part of the reason that there might be an uptick in this um, is, is due to the current climate and that changing um, and feeling guilty or, or things of that nature. Um, but the pe- everyone that comes in, no matter what their kink is at all, every person Thinks that they're a weirdo and they're normal and they're wrong and that no one else is like them. And I always like to remind them, how do you think that we all make money? Uh, there's so many people like that. There's and honestly, all these things are so interesting. And I really applaud them for being brave enough to not only find and admit what their particular fetish or kink is, but being able to act on it and. Taking action and going out there and finding what they desire and manifesting it. So, uh, the reason that people may like it, they think it, they think that humiliation is something that is weak, um, but that's where the pleasure is in it. And then there's a common trope too, both in men and women, of people that have high power, power jobs that are working all day, that are used to getting what they want and things of that nature. They want to be able to turn their brain off and have someone tell them what to do or tell them how everything's supposed to go. And that's very true. Um, they're like with, with the listener that you brought up, that was my first instinct when you said that of someone who has a seemingly high power job, whereas she said she's a stay at home mom, which in society is viewed as lesser than someone who's like a CEO or whatnot. To be able to flip those power dynamics that is intoxicating for someone and it can be fun for the other person to experience in that role within kink and within humiliation it's this beautiful safe place where we can explore and express ourselves in ways that would otherwise be deemed inappropriate or or just not again not i don't like using the word normal but it's like not normal in the outside world so it's ways where you know obviously rape is not a good thing, but if we can negotiate consensual non-consent, it's a space where uh, agreed upon and contained rape is okay. So with this humiliation piece, it's something where you don't, no one wants to be humiliated in the real world in that way, but when you're doing it with a sexual connotation, and given the fact that we often do more than we would at any given time, if we're more aroused or if it's for someone else to please our partner, that can change the whole framework of how this person views humiliation. And oftentimes, I mean, again, the word is so harsh, but I like to divide it into two common tropes, especially uh, for males, into the pet and the plaything. And the pet being someone you take care of, that you dote on, um, they want to be of service to you, they always want to be of use. There's a constant validation both that the dom and sub would find pleasure in because there would be consistent tasks, whereas the play thing, I find that usually since women are sexually objectified all the time, men not so secretly would like that as well. And treating them as a tool for pleasure, as a sex object, that's something that is craved because it's not received on the male end of the spectrum.
0: That that makes so much sense to me, and um, I love the way you're looking at humiliation or or any negative emotion as potentially empowering and potentially producing you know greater levels of confidence both in and out of the bedroom. Now, before I let you go, and you're just full of really interesting information, I could ask you a hundred more questions, mm-hmm. and I'd love to have you back. But uh, if we've left this listener and you've offered some really useful advice about asking probing questions that begin with the why. Now that's the conversation piece. What about the physical piece? So she starts that conversation. She's obviously brand new at this. What can she also do in bed to maybe take a baby step toward being more dominant?
1: Well, I guess one piece too, and she already has this working to her advantage. She's a stay at home mom, meaning she's a mom. And I always tell people to dom like a strict mom and that silence is power. In silence, we often find that awkward and try to fill gaps with conversation. There's also, you're in the dominant role when you're comfortable in that silence. So, you know, it's like thinking of of kids or of of dogs and like, is it more effective when you yell at them and you give them or that or when you just give them that look with your eyes and are silent so that they know. So in thinking of how you would treat like a child, thinking of it in that way where like you care about them, you want the best for them, you want them to trust you, but they also need to know who's boss. Um, As far as in a physical setting, um, especially if you're new to it and unsure of what you're doing, it really and I hate this phrase, but it really is a fake it till you make an approach, Um, you don't have to know what you're doing, but it's about taking that time being able to think about it, not feeling like you have to react immediately, and being conscious of your partner um, and of where they are mentally or physically and where you're taking them. Um, A way to put yourself an advantage in them at a disadvantage are things like sensory deprivation. So you could restrain them, you could blindfold them, um, you could take away some of their senses so you're automatically at an advantage. Um, That's often the recent times where people have subs Uh, Being lower than them physically or have them being unclothed while they are clothed because it's a simple thing that automatically puts you at an advantage Uh, not to mention if they are tied up or restrained or they have a blindfold on you can kind of take your time because there's nothing they can Do in that sense to to fight back or if they disobey Then you can use that to see if you will roll with the promise of reward or the threat of punishment in whichever way Um, But sensory deprivation is a really great way, too, for the submissive to try to get into that subspace or in a zone where they're vulnerable and relinquishing that control a little bit.
0: I like that. And I think a blindfold sometimes is passed over as too amateur or too vanilla. But the power of depriving them of one sense so that they do not know what is coming next is, you know, really favors the dominant. So you've, you've given her a number of suggestions. First, the conversation. Second, the use of silence and facial expressions. And then thirdly, this starting just with sensory deprivation and positioning yourself. So I think that's really useful. Now, I, I know that we didn't get to talk about your fetish wrestling, mm-hmm. but uh, people can certainly find much more about Goddess Lola Jean on Instagram. You're at goddesslolajean.com and uh, at goddesslolajean on social media. And I follow Lola and uh, love, love all the pics. I saw one the other day of you in a red, I think, latex outfit, and you had two men in a headlock.
1: Uh, oh, I guess it looks like a headlock. I did a, a humiliation scene uh, for Math Magazine, which is a feminist porn magazine, for their release party. Um, I try to use performances a lot to evoke uh, fantasies or unknown kinks in people.
0: And I think it worked. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I liked that. I double-tapped that. So <laughs> thank you so much for being here with us. Uh, I learned a lot. I have many more questions, as I'm sure many of you do. And Goddess Lola Jean offers so many workshops. So check out that schedule. She's based in New York, but obviously travels as well. And you can find her online. So thank you again. Absolutely. Thanks for having me have a great one. All right, now Lola Jean is obviously full of both knowledge and some very interesting experience, and I, for one, really look forward to learning more. I took a lot out of that conversation, and regardless of whether you are dominant, submissive, a little bit of both, maybe you don't identify as either, I think there are some really important, broader lessons here that I want to highlight. So please hang in there. I want to say first that the primary goal of this podcast is to provide information and empowerment. So I want you to feel great about yourself, your relationship, your sexuality, wherever you are after every episode. So I try and showcase various perspectives and experiences that help to inform your journey. So that's the primary goal, is to, you know, give you information and hopefully help you feel great about yourself. And the secondary goal is, or maybe it's just as important, is to encourage you to learn about yourself by hearing and learning from others. So even if a specific topic isn't of personal close-to-home interest to you, my hope is that some of the underlying messages principles or approaches can be extrapolated and applied in your own relationship and sexual experience. So from this conversation, there are a number of messages and lessons that I think you can apply no matter what. So first, in sexual relationships, in sexual conversations, start with the why. So ask leading questions to yourself and to your partners. So why do you want to do something? Why are you so opposed to trying something? And those questions are going to lead to more and more and more, as Lola joked, um, you know, the kids who are like, why, why, why? But this is a really great place to start with the why. And I think it can be um, challenging, but also maybe reduce some of the intimidation factor. Because you're really getting at, you know, the personal motivations. So that's number one. Number two, what I took out of this conversation is a reminder that it is common and normal to be turned on by elements that we're deprived of. So Lola talked about it from a gender role perspective. But I think it's really useful to think about some of the feelings or experiences that you have either been deprived of or you have, through your own self-selection or self-censorship, you've avoided. Maybe you've been told you weren't supposed to feel a certain way or explore in a certain way. So let's lean into those elements that are generally a part of our own deprivation instead of avoiding them. 3rd uh, or number three here, I think, uh, friendship. Friendship is at the core of trust and care in all relationships. So if you're in a relationship or if you're getting into a relationship, worry about the friendship first. Some people think that sex is the key to a happy relationship, but in most cases, you really need to cultivate the relationship and friendship first and then work on the sex. And you can't neglect one or the other, but friendship is the foundation. Fourth... This was very interesting to me. Set time limits on new sexual experiences. Lola mentioned that when we delineate the beginning and ending of an experience so that we know what and when to expect it, it lets us enjoy and succumb to the process and increases the likelihood that we'll bother to try something that is new or intimidating or edgier I always suggest, for instance, to couples who are going to a sex club for the very first time that they set a time limit on it. We will go for 45 minutes. Maybe you set your alarm or a watch. But I think that this beginning and ending of a process in terms of time can be really useful, especially if you're new to a sexual experience. Next, in using the example of sissification, so making men feel or look or dress or experience like women, we're reminded that there is intense eroticism in the subversive. So if you find you're turned on by something that is at odds with your personal or political identity, that's okay. You can be a radical feminist and be submissive to men, because sex is a form of escapism. And I think that's an important message that that we can all, you know, remind ourselves of. And uh, next, I think maybe I'm on number six here. Rather than pretending your insecurities don't exist, look for positive ways to invalidate those insecurities. So Lola Jean mentioned that she has a fear of abandonment, And so playing the role of someone who is a goddess, who is worshipped, it helps to assuage these fears for her in relationships. And the brave part is admitting it because most of us won't admit to our issues and fears. And not only does this denial ensure that we won't ever resolve them because you can't resolve something if you won't admit it's there, but we may also be missing out on pleasure opportunities, as Lola Lola demonstrates in her real life. And then finally, in relationships, this really resonated with me, make sure you get to play multiple roles. So Lola mentioned the pet thing and the play thing. So the pet is the one who attends to your every need, pays attention to you, comes running when when called, you know, like a dog. (laughs) I I love my doggy. So if there's one thing my dog wants to do, it's please me. Anything to please me. She just, she wants to sit when I say sit. She wants to stand at attention when I say, like, look at me. So it's good to play that role where you do attend to your partner. And it's equally important to play the plaything role. So that's the opposite. That's the one that gets all the attention, that gets doted on. And... I think about this with regard to gender roles, this being particularly relevant. I think about men, and straight men in general, don't get to be the object of lust and desire and attention, and they crave it as much as any other gender. We often spend all of our time teaching men to relax women, to help get women in the mood, to seduce women, but everybody also wants to be on the flip side. They want to be seduced. They want to be told that they're beautiful. Uh, This applies, you know, human needs are human needs. There is individual variation, of course. There are going to be exceptions. But if we determine human needs and make assumptions based on what's between your legs alone, we are missing out on so much. And so the flip side of men being deprived of lustful attention, is that women become so accustomed to being objectified, which is exhausting, and being lusted after, that in long-term relationships, when our partners don't behave this way, when our partners don't treat us as objects, because, of course, they see us as human beings and equals and whatnot... Oh, and I always tell people that you, it's okay to objectify your partner as long as you know in real life you, you respect them. But when our partners don't act this way, when they don't approach us with undying lust, it leaves us wondering if we're lacking in the, the physical beauty department. And I see this often. I think I've dealt with this myself and that's a whole other topic actually maybe I will talk about that in in an upcoming episode but it is okay to look at your partner like an animal like a piece of meat or soy if for the vegetarians I always joke (laughs) tofu so yeah so so play both roles I got a little bit off there but play the pet and play the plaything, the pet thing and the play thing and I love the way Lola Jean put that so uh, I'm going to stop there and say thank you so much for joining me, for joining us. Please share this episode, subscribe and follow along. I am at Sex with Dr. Jess on all social media, and you can find Lola at Goddess Lola Jean. Thank you so much, folks. We'll be back again next Friday. 9 a.m. ish with our weekly episode. Have a great one. You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Improve your sex life. Improve your life.